This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Actually, Rashida already read this verse, but we're going to read it again. We're standing together in respect to God's word and honor to posture ourselves in a position of hearing his voice. Let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. One of the things that we talked about last week is um, this idea of what the church is. And, and I want to reiterate this today, that the primary revelation that you see in Scripture for the church is the family of God. That's the primary revelation. Now, there's other ways in which God kind of uses and talks about the church as the body or as uh, an army. There's other ways. But this primary revelation is important because the primary revelation that we see of how God wants us to see him, not how we say we see him, because what we could do is we go, this is how I see God, but we need to ask, how does God want us to see him? How has he revealed himself? And that primary revelation is him as father. He wants us to know him as his father, and he wants us to see ourselves as his children. And this primary understanding how we should see ourselves, not only in relationship to him, but in relationship to one another, sets up the context for how we should see ourselves as his church, his family. We're a family. Turn to your brothers and sisters around you and say, we're family. We're family. We're family. Church, we are the family of God, and this is an important thing for us because what ends up happening is we live in a culture which has kind of redefined what the church is. And when I was young, we would take words that meant one thing and change them into another thing. Like to say something was good, we would say, that's bad. Right? And now, like, later on, they say things like sick or disgusting or whatever it is to determine what something's good. But we love to take words and kind of redefine them over time. And what ends up happening is we can end up losing that definition. And so in this context, in our culture, we've used church not to mean family, but to mean an institution or a business. Something that we go and shop in to find our goods and services to get what we need out of it. And then what we have is a bunch of people who are, are going to kind of pay their tithes and, and do their religious duty. And then we have professionals who are preachers or pastors or leaders who are making a living off of it. And, and inside of that, what ends up taking place is the primary revelation is we've got a business that we need to market. It and we need to get out there so we can be successful. You see this word happen a lot inside of the American church. We want to know, what does it mean to be successful? We are more concerned with being successful than we are being mature. Those are different things. 
There's a lot of successful people who are immature. And there are a lot of unsuccessful people who are very mature. You see, maturity and success are not tied to each other. And what ends up happening is we've built a system where we are more concerned about our success. If we're honest, we're sitting in here saying, preacher, tell me how to be successful. How to make money, how to have a successful family, how to do all these kinds of things. And maybe, you know, throw our marriage in, make me, make me be good at work and how to be strong and how to do my, my things. We want to be successful. But what Paul is driving at is something totally different that only makes sense in the context of family. We talk about maturity. Growing up. And becoming who we should be. I'm convinced that the American church is more concerned about their success than they are about their spiritual maturity. And what ends up happening in that environment, where we're more concerned about success than maturity, is what we end up doing is making those who are successful be the ones that we elevate, those who are strong, and we don't look at those who maybe not be successful show love. So what do we end up doing? In a successful environment, we hide our weaknesses and boast about our strengths. We don't want anybody to know how broken we actually are because we're more concerned about being successful than we are about being loved. You won't know what it is to be loved until you get in a family where they know your weaknesses and your brokenness and no matter how much they know you, they still love you. This is the kind of family that God has called us into and that our Father has created. And when he created all these things, he made them one, church. Heaven and earth were one. As he says in Ephesians chapter 1, he in Christ is going to make heaven and earth back together. He's going to bring it back. Because sin is separated, it's coming back together. God and man have been separated. The father and his children have been separated. But in Christ, he's bringing himself. He's bringing us back together. And now in chapter 3 and 4, what he's pressing into is you better believe that this good father is going to bring his family back together. Because a good father cares about the health of his family. Which means he cares about how we interact with each other. I, I, I want to, if you care about spiritual maturity, then here's what you're going to care about. How are your relationships in the church? Are they healthy? Because I'm going to tell you this. If your church family relationships are healthy, that's a greater sign of your spiritual maturity than how much scripture you know, how much doctrine you know, how much stuff you can repeat, how much money you make. What's a true sign of your spiritual maturity is how you get along and love others, maybe even if they're different than you. You see, in a family, we understand something. Uh, in a family, we understand that words are powerful. 
Words are extremely powerful. Like if, if my kid says something that is hurtful and something that is painful and something that is destructive, I'm going to tell my kid to do what? I'm going to say, you need to go say that you are sorry. And, 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 and I want to I make sure I don't want him to just say sorry or her to say sorry. I want her to or him to mean sorry. So if they go and just go, sorry. I'm going to go, you didn't mean it. Yeah, but I said it, but you didn't mean it. You're not really broken about it. Because communication and words go far deeper than what I just say with my mouth. It comes from the heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is speaking. And when you're saying something, you're not just communicating with saying right words. That's why people can say right words and still be cutting people apart. Because they're not saying it the way he would say it. Or with the heart, he would say it. So what do I do? I want them to be repentant. And I want them to say it with the right heart. And I want there to be unity. And the verse that we're covering today speaks of this reality. What maturity looks like. He frames it in this. He says, I want you to grow up. I want you to be one family. I want you to be one body. And he's giving us ways in which the family is to operate. And he's saying, I want you to speak in ways that are building up the family. And I want you to say sorry to each other. I don't want you to just say sorry. I want you to mean sorry. And I want you to, to understand how powerful your words actually are. One of the things that when a family is together and a group of people are existing together, you know, the importance is understanding um, how different things can affect one another, right? You know, you look here, and, and we want to put up, like, the tongue can be a weapon of mass destruction, yeah. right? Yep. Like, in James 3, verses 1 through 12, right, because this is... This is a theme that you see inside of Scripture because it's important for how people live together with one another, how, how couples live together, how family live together, how the body lives together with one, one another. Like, you got to understand the weight of these things. In James 3, 1, to, 1, 1 through 12, James is talking about this, this tongue, and, he, and he, he's talking about how powerful this tongue is, right? He's talking about, like, this tongue is massively powerful, right? But he makes this comparison, like, it's so small compared to the rest of the body, right? It's like, like compared to the, the arms that may be swollen, and the chest and the legs and, and all these, these weighty things. He's like, but, but this tongue here, this tongue is small, but massively powerful, so powerful that he goes on, he says, man, like, it's so powerful, you can't, you can't tame this thing, right? You can't tame this tongue. And then he likens it in James. He likens it to the small flame that starts forest fires, right? You look on TV and you see thousands of trees that are set ablaze and burning in forest fires. But to think of the small flame that set that tree, that set that forest on fire, he said, that's your tongue right there, right? Here, Paul is talking to them about what it looks like to live together as a family, right? And he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, 
but only such that is good for, for building up, right? This is what, what both Paul and James are saying here applies to both. Listen, I want you to get this. What they're both saying here applies to both your, your natural tongue, and, and I want to be culturally relevant. It also applies to your, your social media tongue too, right? Right? Because, we, we, man, we get bold behind screen and say some crazy things, right? Like, let me see you on the street, right? <clears throat> the same rules apply. And I get it, like, like, and then we'll turn around and we'll both like, well, we got freedom of speech. It's our right to say whatever we want. We got freedom of speech. I get it. I get it. But in 1 Corinthians, Paul said, I have the freedom to do all things, but not all things are edifying. Not all things are, are building up, right? I got the freedom to do it, but they all, they all don't, don't, don't build up. They all don't shape and mold all, for the sake of the body. For, for Christians, there are certain things we are not free to do, right? Even though we're free, there are certain things where we're not free to do, right? Because we're submitted to the Spirit of God, right? So he's here he is, he said, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. You're not free to do that, right? Now, a lot of verses right here will say, let no corrupt talk or foul or unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, right? And I want to, like, bring some, 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 some heart clarity here, right? Because you can just stop at, at words that are considered to be, like, foul language when you're looking at this, right? But, but... When you do something like that, you sort of just stop at this personal integrity deal, right? Just, this just have to do with me and my own personal integrity or, 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 or not saying words that seem to be offensive. But even when you, you go there, that fluctuates culturally, right? Like, 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 like when me and my wife first got married and stuff, like me and my family, my household and stuff, like we began to argument because there were certain words that when, as I grew up wasn't considered foul language or curse words, right? But in her household, in her family, they were considered that, right? So some of these things changed culture. I remember reading through the Bible and like, like there were certain words inside there, like the word for donkey. And I'm like, wow, why is that inside there? Did they not learn? Like, I'm not, I'm saying the, the word that I would use when I talk, if I wrote the Bible, right? But then there's certain translations that say a different word. And I'm like, let me say the other word, and they sort of messed up right here, right? And stuff, they didn't grow up in my household, right? So, like, this can change um, in, in, in context, but, right, but, but the heart here, where I love how, how um, the ESV explains it, he says corrupting words, right? Now, this sort of captures the heart of what's trying to be communicated here because it makes it into a verb, Right? Not a noun. It makes it into a verb. It, it, it says it's doing something. It's not just standing by itself, like in and of it by itself is just corrupt. It's doing something. It's corrupting. Right? So we got to get this right. So if I'm, if I'm going to, 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 to say things that's more synonymous, it says, like, hey, 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 you have these words that, like, they're not just infectious, they are infected. 
infecting the body. They're infecting the relationship. They're, your words aren't just spoiled. They're spoiling what's good inside of the body as you say it to the other, as you put it out there to the other. They're not just, 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 just tainted. They're tainting what God has made good. They're not just altered. You are altering. I want you to get this, right? Because they're saying as you're living together, there's words that you can be saying that are not just broken and destroyed, but destroying the good, what God has done inside of your relationship, inside of the family, inside of the, 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 the body. So Corrupt has to do with just you and your own personal integrity, but when you understand the ing, corrupting, that has to do with you in context to community, in context to the body and how we live with one another. So he says, here's what you do instead. Only such as good for building up. So, so, so put off corrupting words, Right? And be intentional to put on words that build up. Let me be intentional to say these things that, are, that, that specifically build up the marriage, build up the body, build up the community. Let me say these things and stuff and be intentional to put on words of encouragement, intentional to speak what builds up and encourages the unity of the body and the family. And, and I know some people are like, man, I just, I'm just not going to bite my tongue. And I'm saying, yo, no, yeah, bite your tongue. Be intentional to say what's good, right? But if it is corrupting to the body, bite your tongue and switch that up some, right? He's talking about how they live together, right? And you see that continue as he says, as such fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. There's something in us that would rather have a preacher stand up here and say, here's a list of words you can say. And here's a list of words you can't say. These are bad words and these are good words. As long as you say these words and don't say these words, you're fine. And the problem with doing that is it allows you not to know your surroundings and know the people you're in relationship with. In our house, there are conversations that Dana and I have that aren't appropriate when the kids are around, but are appropriate when we're by ourselves. There could be a lot of things inside of those conversations that could lay big burdens upon our children that they would not be able to carry. And I'm forced to not just take all that I would say in context to this adult conversation and take it and place it upon my children because they cannot carry it. It forces me not to just say whatever I want to say, but to know the people I'm talking to and know the occasion that I am in. There's a lot of people who feel like it is authentic to say what is ever is on your mind. L let me just give you some pastoral advice. It's, oh, did you change it? Don't always speak what is on your mind. Because what is on your mind may not be smart. It may not be smart to say what is on your mind in front of the people that you are with. 
It may not be smart to say what is ever is on your mind around and in the context that you are or knowing the people that you know. The things that are on your mind, it doesn't mean you are inauthentic by not saying it. It means you are mature in not saying it. So many people have elevated this idea of just speaking whatever is on your mind. And when we elevate that, we have elevated being unaware of our surroundings and unaware of whether this is actually helpful or unhelpful or unaware of whether these people we are talking to can actually handle what we are saying. There are conversations as elders that we should have that I would not have with somebody who's just coming into this community. Why? Because why would I lay a burden upon someone who cannot actually help build up what we are communicating? That laying on these burdens and communicating these things allow us to understand that maturity is not just about speaking everything that comes to your mind. It's about operating in wisdom. And wisdom knows what to say at the right time with the right heart. What to say at the right time with the right heart. And if you look at who Jesus is as the model of maturity, you would see that not all the time would he speak what was on his mind. Sometimes he would stay quiet. Sometimes he would speak. Sometimes he would speak harshly. And sometimes he would speak softly. If I stand up here and say, y'all, here's stuff to say and stuff to not say, it will allow you to check out from being wise and start following a rule book and not have to depend upon the person and the work and the power of the Holy Spirit. See, that's why as he's telling them this, right, he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. That's why he goes on and he said, he doesn't just say these things, but he goes on and says, like, now he talks about the grieving of the Spirit of God. You see, like, James, he, James was talking about and said, like, man, it's like you can't tame this thing, right? But when he's talking about you can't tame your tongue, he's saying that you can't tame it in your own strength, right? right? You can go ahead and try to, to, to do it, but you're going to watch over and over and over again how it cuts others, right? Because you're trying to tame it inside your own strength. And then on, 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 on top of that, if you try to, try to say, okay, let me try to submit my tongue to the Spirit of God, I want to say you, you're still missing it. Let me submit myself to the Spirit of God. Let me submit my heart, my mind, my body, because you can't just try to say, let me isolate this part. You need to submit the whole, right? He wants all of you, but now as you submit the whole and you practice submitting to the Spirit of God in this and submitting to the Spirit of God in that, you start to learn his voice. You start to learn his directing, and then you start to follow him. You be like, ah. no, let me not say that. 
Because the spirit of the God is telling you, hold your, your lips. And, and he's putting a guard over you. You see, the spirit of God is the spirit of unity. Yes. Working to unify the church. Yes. Working to unify the church. Jesus is praying about this over and over. I pray that they will be unified. I pray that they will be unified. And, and so, so now you look and, 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 and this unity goes in so many levels, right? This, this unified in, in relationships that you have with one another, unified in, in families, unified in brothers and sisters of different and diverse backgrounds, unified in marriage, marriages, unified as a body, and all this is happening to, to display the unity of God himself, right? As we walk through these things, each time again, you're going to see, it's going to say, put on, put off this and put on that. And then it's going to give you this why. And the why here is that it grieves the spirit of God. And you have to have that in context. It's not put on and put off so you can win the conversation. Put on and put off so you can be right. Put on, and, no, no, no. Put on and put off for this reason that's way bigger than you. It grieves the spirit of God. See, when we speak words that are corrupting to the unity of the church, we are literally working against the work of the Spirit of God seeking to, to unify. When you speak words that are corrupting to your relationship, corrupting inside of your family, you are literally working against the Spirit of God unifying inside that other person. We are grieving the Spirit of God that's, that's, that whose will is unity in the other person, but get this, we are walking in rebellion to the Spirit of God living inside of us yes. that seeks unity, right? So, so here I am saying, nah, I got this. I'm going to do what I want. And you're grieving the Spirit of God and saying, submit to me. I'm going to tell you what to say and what not to say and when to say it and how to say it. It's not about winning the conversation or, or being right and saying all the right words. It's about having the right spirit in what you say and, 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 and what you don't say and when you say it. That's only done by submitting to the spirit of God. He'll lead you in step with his agenda, right? And here's the deal. It's about his agenda, not yours, right? Your agenda may be to prove them wrong right now. Your agenda may be to be right. Your agenda may be to show that you know it all. But his agenda is a different agenda. He points it out until the day of redemption. See, his, redemp his, his agenda is to the day of redemption, building up the body of Christ until he returns. That's his agenda. And his agenda may be different from your agenda. That's why you need to submit to the Spirit of God, even if you think I'm saying all the right stuff right now no that's here's my agenda I'm building up and, and part of that building up is you holding your tongue and waiting until the right time and now to say it and how you said it that's, that's, that's him building his kingdom and leading you according to his agenda instead of you leading yourself that's awesome man here's what I want us to think about for a moment before we spend some time in prayer there is a massive movement today, which I would say is cultural pressure on the church. And I, I would say good cultural pressure. And that pressure is, why isn't the church 
the church in America, more diverse than it is. So there's a lot of white churches or Hispanic churches or African American, whatever it is. Why are we not diverse? Why is Sunday morning still the most segregated time in America? Why? And a lot of it has to do with this idea of us not knowing how to live in unity. We would rather live in diversity than we would in unity. So we have a face of diversity, meaning all of us are like different colors, we're in the same place. And so in order to get that, many churches are doing strategies. Let's hire minorities, or let's, let's, bring, in the, let's bring in somebody of another color. Let's pay them to be here, right? Sounds like family, right? Let's put some on stage. Let's, let's do different structures. As much as I know that there's some of these things that could help change systems and strategies and statements, we are all about systems and strategies and statements. But those are the things that have divided us for forever. Our systems and our strategies and our statements have left people out and on the fringes. And so what do they do? They want to go to a place where they line up with all of those things. And I'm not saying that all of that is completely evil, but I want to say this. It's the spirit that unites people. It's the spirit of God. There is one spirit, one Father, one Lord. It's the spirit of God that unites. And that spirit that God places in us is made evident through how we love each other. Meaning, we will only go around people that are like us because it's easy for us to love them. And it's hard for us to live in unity and love people who say things that maybe are different than us or believe different than us or have different political persuasions than us or have different ideas about a text than us or have different opportunities. These differences, and I understand that there are a multitude of differences, that what we end up doing is we end up wanting to go to places where everyone around us so we can say whatever we want and get a lot of really good amens rather than living in this spirit of unity that forces us into a place to not just go, am I saying the right thing? Am I making the right statement? But do I, do I actually have the right spirit about this? I, 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 maybe I'm old school, but I feel like the church needs to go back to praying for the spirit and for love so that we can actually be unified. When I've had people ask me, well, how, how do you have such a diverse community? What, what did you do? Did you hire? Did you do this? What is that? I, I love my family. They're family. I can't do life without them. We're, we're brothers. Like, I, I get it. We've been in fights, but we're still here, right? 
we've gone through some stuff, but we're still walking through it. We, we've, we've butted heads, but we're, we're still sitting in this same table. We're, 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 we're navigating through these things because we believe that what God's Spirit does is actually brings His family together and causes us to dine at the same banqueting table. And who gets glory for that? He will see our good works and they will glorify our Father who is in heaven. They'll look at this family and go, that's a good father. Listen, no father tries to force all their children to be the same. But sees the beauty of each one of their uniquenesses. And tries to say, how can I, I encourage and bless the uniqueness of this child who is farting. If you have multiple kids, you realize there is no one that is exactly the same. Same parents, different kids. How can I encourage the uniqueness of each one without elevating them and making them favorite over the other, but also having them work in harmony with one another so that the whole family could be built up rather than just one individual? How do I build the whole family up and how do we walk in unity and still encourage the uniqueness of each one? See, that reality takes far more maturity. And far more knowing of the people that you are in relationship. You can't do this outside of relationship with one another. And outside of the very spirit of God. Let me read you this text. Luke chapter 12. Jesus is speaking to his disciples because he's going to go and he wants them to know, like, you're going to be put in some really hard places. He says, when you're brought before synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit is the one who will teach you what you should say at the time you should say it. In that time. There's something in us that wants, if I could just be prepped, if I could just be ready, if I could just have everything in place, if I know the bad words to stay away from and the good words to stay away from, if I know all of that, I, I'll, I'll get this. I'll follow every one of those rules. And, and, and Jesus is saying to his disciples, listen, my spirit is going to be with you in those moments where you don't even know what to say, the things you can't prepare for, and I'm going to give you every word that you need to speak. Church, if this scripture does anything for us, it forces us to see how much we need the Spirit of God to live in this kind of unity and have our tongues seasoned with the flavor of heaven and God's voice coming through us and have this heart to build up. Before Wayne leads us in a time of communion, I would just love to encourage you in this. Uh, we live in a generation that looks back at the generation before us and sees all of its mistakes on how they built church. And we're spending all of our time deconstructing how bad church has been done. When are we going to stop deconstructing and start constructing the kind of church we should be? When are we going to start building up the body of Christ for the glory of God? We can all see the brokenness of the church. We can all see the pain and suffering of the family of God. We can all see it. Matter of fact, we're not that unique and have some great insight on how broken the system has been. 
But what's really going to reflect the body of Christ is not when we see how bad things are and go, forget it, I'm walking away. But when we start building up the body of Christ and start walking in the power of the Spirit that God's given to us. If we catch that, right, if we catch the heart of what's being communicated today, the, the distinctive thing that the world would see inside of the church, no matter which church you come from, would be the Spirit of God. That's why all this keeps pointing back to him. Not pointing back to, like, here's, here's a strategy, here's a, the three steps and everything else, but it's like constantly over and over and over again, relying on the Spirit of God. As Jesus goes to the cross and offers himself, it's so that his very spirit would live inside of us. Not so that they would be smarter, not so that they would be able to like have muscle, but that his spirit would live inside of them. So his family, his brothers, his sisters that would, that would take up of his body that's given for them, represented by the bread. His family that would take up his blood given for them, represented by the cup, would be indwelt by him, himself. That he would live inside of them. And the defining and distinctive thing that people would see inside of them is him. It's him. Distinctly displayed to each and every single one of us. And in all of our diversity and all of our distinctness, the sameness would be his spirit. And that would be the thing that unites, and that would be the thing that says that, that, that should, man, they, they have wisdom in how they handle things, and, and it would stand out. This morning as we, as we get ready for communion, this is what I want to I ask you to do. I want to ask you to, to humble your hearts this morning. Man, spend some time praying. Spend some time repenting, Lord. Man, forgive me for relying on me so much. Man, you, you mean literally need to ask God to expose ways that you are putting up walls, ways that you are being closed in your ears to his spirit speaking to you. You may literally need to repent and ask, Lord, show me and say, Lord, please fill me with your spirit. Please lift me up by your spirit. Guide me by your spirit, Lord. Show me the truth. I'm not going to be able to figure it out. I'm not going to be able to just get it, Lord. I need you. If you do not show me, you do not lead me, I will wander off. Know this reality that he's created, this reality so that we are dependent upon him. So linger and pray for his spirit. Ask him to fall on you and fill you. Ask him for forgiveness and see his arms stretched out towards you saying, I want relationship. I want to live inside of you. And then after some praying and after some searching of your heart, man, I want to 
Come up. Those of you that, that know him as your Lord and Savior, come up. And let's partake of the bread and the juice together. And then the Bible says that we must worship him in spirit and truth. Right? Then in the presence, the weight, the glory of the spirit of God, let's come together as a family. Broken, submitted to him in worship. That being said, the tables are open. Let's break bread together. Let's pray. Let's worship. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.